0: Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Okay, well, when I was a little girl, my mum, who was a very wise lady, she told me never to play with matches. I hope your mum's also taught you that, because it's very important, because things can get out of hand, and a fire can start, and fire is very serious. As we'll find out, but first of all, let's recap on where we've got to in the story in the book of Daniel. So a couple of weeks ago, Tanika um, led us through the first half of chapter three, and if you you know, then um, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he had um, built this massive statue of gold, and he had ordered everybody to bow down and worship this golden statue, and It seems that the reason he did this was a a sort of a direct um, response to what happened in chapter 2 when um, he had had a dream and Daniel had interpreted this dream The dream was of a massive statue, but this statue, the head was of gold, the body of silver, the next bit bronze, and then there was iron, and then bits of clay and iron. And the interpretation that God gave Daniel was that um, the head of gold was the Babylonian empire, the kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar's. Then there'd be another one, then another, and they'd get sort of worse and worse, and then God's kingdom would come and smash them all away. So at the time... King Nebuchadnezzar was sort of very amazed and impressed and said that, you know, God's amazing. Anyway, by the time we get to chapter three, he's obviously changed his mind again. And he decided he was going to change the course of history, that um, his kingdom was not only going to be the head of gold, it was going to be the whole statue, gold, just his kingdom forever. Actually, it has been said it was only gold-plated, this statue. (laughs) So make of that what you will. But that was where we were going, And really, he was basically setting it up. He's trying to change history. He's trying to change what God says. And he is um, setting himself up to be glorified. And this is a statement of his greatness and his sovereignty. Um, And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Jews had got position in his government. They, They didn't bow down. They weren't going to do that. And um, they got found out because the rotten old Chaldeans went and told on them to the king. Thanks very much. What happens next? So chapter 3, verses 13 to 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men to the, before the king. Worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was normally heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind these guys and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown in. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up the guise and these three men fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, "'Did we not cast three men bound into the fire?' they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach Meshach and Abednego servants of the most high God come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counsellors gathered together and they saw that the fire had, had not had any power over the bodies of these men the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their own bodies rather than serve any And worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So it's all very dramatic stuff. Let's have a look, first of all then, at how these guys, with the very long names, managed to stand firm under pressure. Well, one commentator has highlighted lighted three things that gave them strength to stand firm. The first one was they knew that their God was sovereign. He was the one true God. They knew the scriptures, their scriptures in the Old Testament up to that point. And in a sense, one thing led to another because of that. They were willing to accept the consequences of standing firm. They knew that their God is the one true God. And they also knew that things went wrong throughout their Jewish history when the Jews compromised and turned to other gods. And in fact, that's how the Jews found themselves in exile in Babylon. And they were also convinced that while they were there in Babylon and in the positions of authority that they had been given, that firstly, they were actually serving God rather than Nebuchadnezzar. God is sovereign. In their scriptures, they would have read about the Ten Commandments, which say, you shall, make no other go- you shall have no other gods before me, and you won't make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything, and you won't bow down and worship it and serve it. They knew that. In a sense, at that point, it was end of story, nothing to debate. But I think it was so much more than just acknowledging the law so I suppose we'd better obey it, poor us. It was actually true faith based on their knowledge of God's sovereign character and power. And that made them willing to stand firm and accept the consequences, which were very serious ones, of standing firm. And they were able to answer the king and say, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, we're not serving your gods and we're not worshipping. God whom we serve is able to deliver from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. I just wonder about this. I wonder if the these is actually two different things. It could just be a very clever literary device to emphasise. But I, I think that they I know that they would have believed that whether or God whether or not God chose to deliver them from the fire, he would ultimately deliver them from death the concept of an afterlife in the Old Testament is perhaps less clear and defined than in the New Testament. But we read, say, in Hebrews 11 of Enoch, that like by faith that pleased God, Enoch was caught up and taken to heaven. So he would not have a glimpse of death. They, they knew there was more to come. Um, And they would have known Job's words um, many years before, who in Job 19 said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. In the Amplified, it says, I know my Redeemer and Vindicator lives. I love that. So they were assured of God's power. They knew that God had the power to deliver them from the fire, but they were also assured that come what may, he would deliver them for eternity from death. And that gave them the strength to bow down to his sovereignty and not the king's come what may. And what about us? How do we also stand firm under pressure? In the same way, I think it's the same template for us. We need to be assured that God is sovereign. It's very easy to love Jesus, isn't it, as our saviour. Oh, he's done all these amazing things for us. We love him so much. He's delivered us. He's given us life. Of course, all true. Absolutely brilliant. Do we honestly always accept what it means for him to be our Lord, to come first? God's offering. And we need to know the scriptures. We need to know God's word. And if we do that then we will be willing and equipped to accept the consequences of whatever we are facing. And it is true for us, too, that whether or not or however God delivers us from a particular tricky situation in life, as Christians, we believe and we trust that God will deliver us from the ultimate tricky situation, death. And unlike the Jewish guys, we live in the good of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection uh, with the real and living day-by-day relationship that we have with God because of it. And as for the Scriptures, as for the Word of God... Remember, God's Word is wonderful. It's not just a set of laws and guidelines. It's not like just a technical manual or a self-help book. You know, the sort of thing, fiery furnaces for dummies or something like that. God's Word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. When the heat's on getting a bit hot when the heat's on God's word it not only guides us and informs us it actually can change us how we feel about something it stirs us it assures us that we can cope through God's strength it opens our eyes I've read that verse so many times I didn't see that before God's word is the most precious gift to us let's really appreciate it and use it especially when the heat's on. And of course, we've got the ultimate example in Jesus himself, who used scripture to withstand the devil when he was challenged at the end of 40 days in the wilderness. And it says at the end of that time, then the devil left him. And then who was this fourth man? I see four men. Nebuchadnezzar says, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Well, throughout the Old Testament, there were times when it says the Lord or the angel of the Lord appeared to someone. And the popular assumption is that these are pre-incarnation appearances of Jesus Himself, it was before Jesus came to Earth as a baby, grew up, and died for our sins, and as a human, completely God, completely man. But in the Old Testament, there were times when He believed that it is Him He would have appeared in a particular situation. So in Genesis, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, Sarah's servant, and brought comfort and assurance for the future. And Hagar called him the God who sees and looks after me. Then later on in Judges, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, who then two verses later refers to him as the Lord. Now these appearances in the Old Testament are called a Christophany, or a Christophany, which means Christ appears. And that's a brilliant word to use in your GC, or whenever you're trying to impress. (laughs) But it's also very faith-giving. For me, I just think, well, if Jesus was prepared to stand with his people in the midst of pressure before the time when he came to earth, before his death and resurrection, How much the more can we trust that he will do so now? And what about the fiery furnace? I think that in this life we encounter at times different sorts of fiery furnaces. And the first one is the one which is very much upside to this passage. It's the furnace like them, the furnace that we're thrown into for standing up for God, for keeping him as sovereign. Well, Of course, we know that in some places in the world, Christians are facing really serious consequences for standing up for God, for their faith. A very real, serious fiery furnace of persecution we 're not at that point at the moment, but the heat still is on sometimes, and it might just be an apparently small thing, like you know not joining in with gossip about someone else or laughing at a dodgy joke, or it could be pressure to accept some dubious work practice it doesn't matter if everybody does it. It could be cultural pressure to accept moral or ethical attitudes at complete odds with our faith. And you know, only yesterday I was talking to somebody from the church who is facing, they think very soon, they're going to have to choose, they're going to have to say, I can't do this at work because it's against my conscience. These things are real. The heat is on. For you families, maybe, I don't know, but at the moment, tomorrow's Halloween, you know, what do we do about that? You know, in the kids' school perhaps put on a party or their best friends invite them round for, you know, a spooky ghouly thing. You know, what are we going to do? It is very topical. The heat, Oh, oh gosh, it's getting a bit hot here. But it is very tempting, isn't it, in these situations where we have to have a choice between standing up for God or giving into pressure to deny him. It's actually quite tempting to reason it out. Um, Shadrach, Meshach and and Abednego, they could have said, but now look. God has given us such favour and influence here. Surely it would be better to give in over this little thing um, so we can stay alive and continue to hold good influence, continue to be God's representatives in this place. Does it really matter? We're not really worshipping. It's just a little bow, you know. But, you know... One step of compromise often leads to another, doesn't it? Once we go down the path of not standing up for God, it's very hard to put the brakes on. See, these guys, they had already stood up for their faith so far when they said they weren't going to eat the food, that um, the Babylonian rich food, they would have their own diet. That, That went well. But I'm sure that would have helped them when... Um, things got even more difficult. And I think the question is, when we're feeling the heat, the standing up for our faith, where is God? Well, he's right there with us, just as he was with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And his word, his living word, gives us reassurance of his help. And remember that God did actually keep the guys safe in the furnace. It is still okay to ask to be protected and delivered. It's just that our faith shouldn't waver if God chooses to intervene in a different way to what we want. Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, which the guys would have known, "...the Lord will be with you." He won't leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then into the New Testament, Jesus himself said that when you're, you know, you're dragged before governors and kings for my sake, um, don't be anxious about what you're going to say and what you're going to do because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. There's that insurance. God is here. God is with us. So that's the first furnace, the the furnace we're thrown into the standing up for God. Another furnace furnace that we we find ourselves in sometimes in life is the one we, we don't have any choice about. We just find ourselves in it through life's events and crises. These are the furnaces we find ourselves in as a result of living in an imperfect world. The cost of living is going up. We have war, which is affecting so much. People are struggling, I know, to find affordable housing. The heat's on, you can feel it. The kingdom of God is here. We know God's goodness. Prayers are answered. Miracles do happen. But it's still in the context, at the moment, in an Im- of an imperfect world. One day, when the new heaven and earth are here, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But at the moment, we're living in an imperfect world. In our old church in Wimbledon, there was a girl who had um, apparently a very strong and mature faith She was really rated by a team she did Christian work with in Hong Kong. And then her father died, tragically, in in a really bizarre, awful accident. I mean, it was awful. It was tragic. But she just couldn't come to terms with the fact that God had allowed this to happen. Um, And she just completely turned away from God. She didn't say, where are you, God? She just turned away. For us, um, as a family years ago, we found ourselves in a fiery furnace of serious ill health. And it happened so quickly, we couldn't even grab the fire extinguisher. And at that time, um, Malcolm said, he said, you know, the question isn't why God, but where are you, God? God never promised to shield us from the hard times, but he did promise to be there with us. Psalm 46, verse 1, which again, I think that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would have known, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So not just as a powerless companion, there, there, but a refuge, a strength and a very present help. And that's what we found him to be. For me, I, I really am helped by the verse in um, John sixteen thirty three, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, it sounds a bit negative, but I quite like it, really. I think well, it's not just me. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, fear not, I'll protect you from everything. But he says, I have overcome the world. And in the Amplified, it says, I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. The third furnace is the one we throw ourselves into. When we step away From God's ways, when we deliberately choose a course of action which are contrary to His ways. When we do that, we sort of create our own fiery furnace. This is a tricky one. There are times as Christians when there is the temptation to choose a course of action that is completely contrary to God's ways. It's not one that has come upon us, this is one we actively choose. It could be, I'm saying, um, of course we all sin. You know, I'm not saying that. Of course we all sin every day in numerous ways. Um, um, but these aren't those times when you, you know, you lose control and, and shout at the kids because you're tired or you snap at a work colleague because you just don't really like them. And then, and, and then you just think, oh God, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. And you, you, know, you say sorry and you, you're back on track. You know, it's, it's those times of weakness Um, But I'm talking about those deliberate actions that we take, even though we know they're wrong. It could just, well, just, no, it could be at times when you go out and you you deliberately get drunk. Um, You could have stopped, but you don't. It could be watching a programme, you know, deep down you shouldn't, not good for you. And then you watch the next one. Or it could be embarking on an affair or a wrong relationship. Or it could be what we don't do, when we know God is challenging us to a course of action and we choose not to do it, We turn away from it. Where is God in those times? In one sense, he's still there. He's definitely looking out for us to turn back to him, to turn back to his ways, just like the father of the prodigal son was looking out. But of course the difference is we've moved away from him. We've chosen a different way. I remember one Christian who deliberately embarked on a wrong relationship saying that the worst thing was they couldn't actually pray about it. And they couldn't pray for God's blessing in it. They'd moved away from God. And his ways. However tempting something seems, it's never worth it. And however hard it seems, it feels to resist, God's living word is there to help. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it's, it's brilliant. No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it and then in hebrews chapter 4 talking about jesus um, it says we don't have a high priest that's Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one—it's amazing—who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near to Him to the throne of grace." Why? To be told off? No. That we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Remember God is sovereign. Cling on to his word and then you will have the strength to do the right thing. If you're feeling the heat today because of a specific pressure to stand up for your faith that you're facing or from the challenges of living in an imperfect world or if you're wrestling with temptation hold on to the fact that God is with you not as a powerless companion but as a refuge and a strength and a very present help and you know When we finish, do ask for prayer. You know, let's be in this, we we share one another's burdens. Do ask for prayer. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he made that way for us to know that real relationship with God, to have God with us, not only in the future for eternity, but here and now in the ups and downs of life. He, God, is, is in every fiery furnace with us. If you're not a Christian, until your dying breath, you're able to turn to God to acknowledge what he's done and to enter into that wonderful relationship with him and know his ever-present help, just like so many of us here have done. But when death comes, that opportunity is gone. The Bible says that there is a separation from God forever. The final fiery furnace is what the Bible calls hell. An issue isn't really what it's like physically. Is it flames and weeping and gnashing of teeth? The issue is that at that point, you're separated from the love of God forever. Now, theologically, there's a debate as to whether God is actually in hell. But what really matters is it? It's where you have to face God's judgment and perfection without the protection of Christ's sacrifice and love. I'm, I'm not saying this to be dramatic or, you know, frighten people into becoming Christians. Believe me, that just really doesn't work. It's more to say, why wouldn't you at least begin to take seriously the claims of Christians as to the love? and the power of Jesus. Why face the pressures of this life alone and then face the prospect of being alone forever? Jesus promises his followers, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Let's pray.